everybody. This is Doug Robertson of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution with another edition of the Southern Fried Soccer Podcast. It is August 7th, first day of school for some of you, so I hope that your kids got off to school well. If they started last week, congratulations. If they start next week, you've only got five more days. Today's Southern Fried Soccer Podcast is going to be all about the transfer window, which closed last Wednesday. The players at Atlanta United sold or loaned. The players that Langley United brought in, either purchasing them or on loan, you're going to hear from Vice President Carlos Bocanegra, who spent some time with us last Thursday talking about these things. And then I'm going to answer some of the questions that y'all sent in to my email at D-R-O-B-E-R-S-O-N at AJC.com or to my Twitter, Doug Robertson AJC. And there's a lot of good ones in there, so I hope that you'll listen. I hope that you'll review and rate the podcast. If you don't subscribe, go ahead and click that little button so you can subscribe and join the Mary family as we continue to talk about Atlanta United soccer, Atlanta United's front office, all things Atlanta United in Major League Soccer. If you're not familiar, Atlanta United does not have a game this week. It won't play again until August 20th when it goes to Seattle. It's had a couple of weeks off because it was eliminated in the group stage of the League's Cup, the inaugural tournament featuring all the teams from MLS and Mexico's first division, Liga Emekis. It's been a fun tournament so far. I've enjoyed the games. There's some more tonight. Last night I watched Miami with Lionel Messi knock off Dallas in in probably the best game of the tournament so far, I think. A lot of fun. It's a pretty cool idea. Some people say it may be a precursor to win MLS and Liga Mekis just merge and form one giant Super League. I don't know if that'll ever happen. Uh, FIFA rules don't usually allow cross-country merging of leagues. There's a few exceptions. Uh, Teams from Wales being allowed to be in the Premier League, for example. Teams from Canada being allowed to be in Major League Soccer, for example. Um, So we'll see. And Lord knows FIFA is pliable uh, if the incentivization is enough. And remember, if this is your first time listening to us, please make sure to follow the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so that you never miss an episode. This is Southern Fried Soccer from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces, as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. So before the transfer window opened, Carlos spoke with us about the team's goals and wants. This came on the heels of the sale of Andrew Gutman to Colorado, the loan of Franco Abara to Toronto. And he said that these moves were going to make sense in the bigger picture once the window was closed. So when he spoke to us on Thursday, I asked Carlos how everything came into focus. 
Yeah, so I think we met a month ago or a little bit early in the window, and we're, we had made some moves, and we're talking about, hey, at the end, let's hopefully it, it shapes up uh, how we want for our plan to, to build for the back half of the season and, and beyond. And uh, fortunately, we were able to execute on our plan um, and get the pieces in. And so I think you see with the, the two wingers, uh, another striker up top, uh, a midfielder in uh, with, with Tristan, um, you know, we're, we're able to now have a group that we feel we have good balance. We have good competition at, at, um, at the positions around the field uh, and really help stabilize uh, for the, the back half of the year and, and beyond. Yeah, so let's go over the players that came in and the players that left. So the players that left included Luis Arjujo, sold to Flamingo for a reported $10 million. Abada on loan to Toronto till the end of the season, which he can come back. Andrew Gutman was sold to Colorado. The team announced today that Aiden McFadden is on loan to Memphis for the rest of the season. He just needs playing time. He's not getting any playing time with the first team. He shows up in most of the game day rosters, but I don't think has played a single minute this year. Coming in, uh, the DP is Saba uh, from Georgia. He's going to be an accounting DP, which means that the team can buy him down using allocation money in the offseason, which will open up another DP slot. Now, opening up that DP slot will allow Tiago Almada, should he choose to stay in Major League Soccer, if, if there's not good offers that come in for him, to transition from being a young designated player, which is yet another roster mechanism in Major League Soccer, into a full designated player, and he can get paid because right now he doesn't probably make enough to, uh, compared to his peers in Major League Soccer. He's got a salary of like $2.5 million, I think. Arahujo, for example, made $4.4 million. So I'll have that DP slot open. Uh, also coming in are Jamal Thierry, a backup striker, Jean de Silva, um, a winger to go along with Saba, and am I missing – Anyone? Oh, yeah, uh, uh, Tristan Miyamba, central midfielder who already started in that Cruz Azul loss and, and performed very well. So that's kind of the comings and the goings for Atlanta United in this window. So here's Carlos talking about the two wingers coming in and their expectations. They should come in, and we hope, hope they're impact players. Um, that's for sure. And we've got, you know, you've got Derek, you've got uh, Edwin, you've got Tyler, who's a bit younger, and Chop, who's uh, coming back off of an injury as well. They can play kind of as multiple positions as you guys have seen and the same with Tyler so um, again it just we feel pretty good about that but um, we're expecting these guys to come in and hopefully they'll be here we feel confident they'll be here before Seattle uh, and be able to be impact players for us. Now just because the players are here before Seattle doesn't mean they're going to be fit enough to play for Seattle again that's August 20th is that game the team would leave on that Friday you want to give I would imagine the guys at least a week to get their legs ready, their you know their, their brains ready to have some familiarity with what the heck is going on around them. New team, new culture, new league, the same phrasing I've used for years and years now when you bring in players during the summer window. It could take a while. Some adjust really, really quickly, a la Messi, a la Busquets, a la Alba, because they're world-class players. Others who aren't world-class players, it can take a little bit longer. So, you know, I, I would exercise some patience, some caution with these two guys. They're both the wingers, Shonda and, and Saba, are both right footed. So if Shonda plays on the left, for example, he's going to want to cut in. And that, you know, raises a couple of flags for me because then you're starting to get in the situation that Lenny Nott had had before, where you've got two wingers who like to come in. Now, Saba's right footed. He will play on the right. Shonda's right footed, plays on the left. But it's taking space away from Almada 
theoretically. I'm not saying that's what's going to happen, but it's just the situation that Atlanta United was in before with his previous wingers. Now, Atlanta United has given up, I think it's the second most goals in Major League Soccer, yet they didn't bring in any defenders in this window. You could argue Mayumba as a central midfielder will help with the defense. You could argue that, well, if the team could control the ball more, there would be less pressure on the defense. But I asked Carlos, why did the team not bring in any more players to help with that depth on defense? Yeah, no, so it was more giving the team the balance and allowing okay. by, by signing the attackers we did, we were able to end Tristan, mm-hmm. obviously, because, you know, although he did quite well getting in the, the opposition's box last game, that's not necessarily his number one strength um, to help solidify the middle, ball winning. Uh, I think you saw a few of his plays that he was breaking up, you know, on tackles and stuff. So uh, that, but it allows Brooks and Caleb, um, and then we get, you know, having Miles back, Abram in the mix, uh, Parata. So that it was more signing the wingers to be able to give us balance. So that makes sense to me, at least. Uh, Lennon will now move to fullback. Wiley will now move to left fullback. The guys can still get forward should they need to. You've still got Robinson and whomever he's going to partner with in that back four. If it's going to be Abram, if it's going to be Parata, whose loan expires at the end of the season, it's going to be interesting. So this was the first summer window that Bocanegra and Lagerway worked together. Lagerway had a reputation in Seattle where he was the equivalent of Bocanegra's role as a wheeler and dealer in the summer window. They brought in some some very good names, Ladero, for example. I don't think any of these players are going to be thought of as being maybe like like a Lodero. Um, but I did want to get Boca Negra's opinion on what it was like to work with Lagerway. This is the second window they now work together, the January window, and now this one. What they learned from each other. Look, he's got loads of experience, mm-hmm. right? Coming in, they did a great job in Seattle. He's got a good track record. Um, so we'll bounce things off of him. Um, you know, I think just him, him giving support uh, to the group, He's obviously knowledgeable about the league and the rules and how trades operate and things like that. So, you know, I think it's good to have another uh, another soccer brain uh, in the front office, which is, which is great. And so, you know, we can use him, utilize him as a as a resource. The other thing of interest to me with Atlanta United's acquisitions in this window. So, let's say they they sold Arujo for ten million, which just goes to recoup some of the transfer costs and the salary they were paying when he was here. Gutman for as much as 550 in allocation money, which is hard to describe if you don't know what allocation money is. It's kind of intra-currency, intra-league currency in Major League Soccer. The players they brought in, Zaba's transfer fee is low enough, salary is going to be low enough to fall below that 1.6 point something million dollar threshold in which you you are not a designated player anymore. The other three players basically came on freeze. So Atlanta United's outspend was not much to get these these players two of which possibly three of which could be starters not maybe not by seattle but perhaps by the next game it's a difference in philosophy it shows that atlanta united is trying to maybe look not for bargains but maybe make sure that the money it's spending has the bona fides um to back it up a little bit more than perhaps it did in the past. Uh, you put these guys together, the, the four that have come in, Biamba, Silva, Isaba, and um, Thierry, and it's, I think it's more than 600 starts or appearances as professionals. 
between them. That's a lot of experience in Europe coming in to a team. And that's not a bad thing. Now, if you're looking at it from a business model standpoint, we're not going to make any money on these guys. But they also didn't have to pay anything. So it kind of balances out. And with the DP slot still open after it gets bought down, if they don't use it in Armada for the next season, it would be for the 2025 season they'd have to use it. They can go out and sign an impact player once they know who they need because they are going to lose several players off this team next year. Uh, Robinson, who we're going to hear in just front, just about in a second, and Huzetu are two of the big ones for starters. And Bocanegra was asked again if the contract offer that the team made in last, I think it was May of 2022, to Robinson. It's a Max Tam deal. Uh, he They won't make him a DP, but they will pay him as much as they possibly can. Is still on the table. And we're having a great conversation. He's a great kid. Like there's again, there's no pressure. Um, you know, we hopefully he stays and we, we can help build around him uh, for the future. But but we'll see. Uh, that's something we can't control, and so we're focusing on the now. So here's what I'm assuming at United is is thinking. This is why the offer is still on the table. If Robinson does not have a deal in place uh, in the transfer window, or once at United season ends, whatever that may be, then he may say, you know what, uh, this one point six something million dollars from Atlanta United is not looking so bad now, and then he'll signs he signs the deal and he remains with the team. I mean, there, there's no reason for them not to pull the contract, and if you do that now, then it's it's probably not good faith anymore. Once you start to get to the end of the window, if Robinson still has not signed or made up his mind, then the team might say, okay, we need to move forward. So it's either sign it now or we have to pull it. But for right now, there is no reason they, they should pull it. All right, when we come back, we're going to get it in the mailbag. This is Southern Fried Soccer for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. The AJC's trusted veteran political voices, Greg Bluestein, Patricia Murphy, Tia Mitchell, and Bill Nygut are the essential source for Georgia politics. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Politically Georgia. Sign up for the newsletter, download the podcast, subscribe to the AJC. I'm Ernie Suggs. And I'm Ned Ravone. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has a special offer for our podcast listeners. If you subscribe today, you can get three months of unlimited digital access for just 99 cents. That's all of our sports coverage, our politics, our breaking news, our investigations, our food and dining, and so much more on AGC.com. That's all of our Georgia coverage, our Georgia Tech football coverage with Chad Bishop, who's joined the staff, replacing Ken Segura, who's moved on to be a, a columnist after he just absolutely rocked the Georgia Tech beat. You've got Justin on the Braves. You've got Lauren on the Hawks. Um, you've got D-Led on the Falcons. Uh, you've got everything covered in Atlanta sports. I covered the new volleyball team last week, for example, uh, the Atlanta Vibe, which is coming to Gwinnett in next year. And you get access to our e-paper and our assortment of newsletters. So join our community by going to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts. 
That's subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts so you always know what's really going on. And I do have a bit of sad news for you. Daniel, who was being chased by Interpol all around the globe, I think has finally gotten caught. He is not with us today. Jay Black has returned from having to deal with the Braves. God, who wants to be a part of covering a winning team? Uh, So he's behind the dashboard today. Jay does not like to crochet and does not like to macrame. I'll have to learn what Jay likes to do. But on to the mailbag. We have the phone call number. Phone call number? God. Get out your rotary dial phones and slowly turn to 404-526-AJCP. That's 404-526-2527. And I'll be honest with y'all, I'm extremely disappointed that no one called in. You had a week to call in, 404-526-2527. As you're sitting in traffic, you call, you leave a voicemail. As you're sitting waiting in the restaurant on your food, you call, you leave a voicemail. As your kids are trying to tell you all the good things they do during the day, say, hold on, Junior, I need to call into the voicemail line. Please, Seriously, please don't do that. Listen to your kids. But anyway, 404-526-2527. On to the mailbag. After a coffee sip, Alan says, I'm happy to hear of Eric Lopez's buyout. He was another player who left last week. I didn't mention him because he's had one appearance in two seasons, I think maybe three seasons for Atlanta United. So the team bought out, uh, mutual agreed to buy out his contract. So he's no longer with the club. Uh, but the question is from Alan. I know the team isn't going to acquire another under 22. Now I think they're going to try to figure out a way to unload two of the under 22s or get a bar back this year. We were told that even with his mutual termination, the under 22 slot was filled for the year. Well, it is because Santiago Sosa is one. Edwin Mosquera is another and Abara is a third. Now with he going on loan, it's supposed to open that slot, but Atlanta United is not going to fill it this year because they're going to be right back in the same boat they were in uh, when Mosquera was recalled from his loan. So Alan continues, can you tell us how that is different from the Rodolfo Pizarro mutual termination where a DP slot was freed in Miami? Is it that Pizarro was given no more money? Ostensibly, he is being paid by his new club while Lopez is still being paid for the year. That's a good question, and I don't know the answer for a fact. I can give you a theory on to what this is. So I don't know if the Pizarro DP slot needed to be open to add Messi or if Miami had already had a DP slot open to add Messi. In that window, it you could see if it was for Busquets, Busquets is maybe playing on a TAM deal for the remainder of this season and then goes to a DP deal next season in which the Pizarro slot is definitely open. And he slides into that, for example. I've Tried to get some clarification on the Lopez situation. I don't think he's getting paid for the rest of the year. I think it's a mutual termination, so I think they are done. Um, there is no cap relief for this year, but there will be for next year. And Lopez was paid a lot of money to not play more than $500,000, which is a lot in the MLS terms. Um, if I can get some uh, definitive clarification on that, Alan, I will email you the answer. But that is my theory right now. On to Ben who has a couple or three questions for us. Have I watched video of United's new acquisitions? I've watched some video, yes. 
Do you have an opinion about how they affect the team's 2023 playoff hopes? I do not. Um, it is a brutal, brutal schedule for Atlanta United, which I'm probably going to write about later this week. Their remaining 10 games include going to Seattle, at home against Nashville, at home against Cincinnati, at Dallas, at home against Miami, at D.C. United, at home against Montreal, at Philadelphia, at home against Columbus, and then at Cincinnati. Now, of those teams, I think only one is not above the playoff line right now, and I could be wrong about that one. Let me go and look real quick. Yep, Montreal is the only one not above the playoff line right now. That is a brutal, brutal schedule. And Atlanta United, the theory is always you need about 40-something points, 45 points to qualify for the for the playoffs. It might be a little lower now because it's nine teams that make it. Atlanta has 35 points. So it's somehow got to get 10 points from the next 10 games to give itself a high probability of making the playoffs. Of course, Atlanta United wants to finish fourth or higher. So that 45 points becomes 48 points, 13 points it needs from the final 10 games. It's going to be tough. It'll be really tough. Um, if Saba and Silva can combine well with Almada and Yorgos, they come back rested after not having had a game for two and a half weeks or so, and they can steal a couple of, of matches early, win two of the next three or two of the next four, then, yeah, it's going to look good. Otherwise, it's going to be very, very tough. How these guys help, it's just too early to tell yet. Miyumba looked good in her in his first game, but it's just one game. And we all learned when Huzatu scored a couple of goals against Birmingham to not say, oh, my God, he's the next so-and-so because that has not worked out. His second question, Europe's summer transfer window remains open, right? It does. But no solid offers for Almada. Is there any chance the team could sell him this season? No, there is no chance the team is going to sell him this season. Um, well, I, I guess there's always a chance, but it would be like 1% at this point. In fact, in your latest article, Ben says, it in- indicates the team wants to extend Almada's contract and turn him into a true DP which would be awesome, he says. Does Messi's arrival in MLS increase the odds for Almada and others to stay, or is an eventual transfer to Europe inevitable for Tiago? Well, Europe is where Tiago wants to go, and you can't blame him. It's where the best soccer players in the world go. Um, so, yes, I think that is still his wish, but at the same time, you can see why Atlanta United wants to keep him for as long as it can until it gets an offer that both the club and the player like and wants to compensate him as much as it can. Now, it's going to be really, really interesting in the offseason to see if MLS changes some of its rules with the arrival of Messi and Busquets and Alba to try to lure more of, and I don't want to say older players, because these guys, yes, they are still older players. They're all mid-30s or older, I believe. I don't know how old Alba is, but I think that's right. But they're obviously very, very productive, which is slightly different than the Gerards and the Lampards and those guys who just didn't have any legs anymore when they came to Major League Soccer. But if they can relax the rules to not get those guys, but get that tier below, 
or get those guys from Europe who are in their, you know, 25, 26, and suddenly MLS can start paying more than it could under the current rules and lure some of those guys to come for the U.S. lifestyle, to come to the U.S. market where you can make a whole lot of money, a whole lot of money with advertising and marketing, commercial interests, than perhaps you can in some places in Europe. Jeff says, thanks for doing the podcast episode. Uh, you give more pertinent Atlanta United news in a 30 to 40 minute podcast than I can get thrashing around the internet. Well, Jeff, I would just say a bookmark AJC.com slash sports uh, bookmark Sam Jones at the striker uh, bookmark uh, dirty South soccer. And that's all the news you need. I would not go to places where theories are thrown out as fact. I would stay away from those things like message board type things. Um, Jeff says, not really a question, but please discuss how you see Pineda using the new signings. I'm hoping not piecemeal as tweaks, but instead a real playoff focused win now strategy. Well, I mean, yeah, Jeff, that's what he's going to do. That's uh, that's what most managers try to do is win now. Uh, you know, there are a couple of franchises in other sports that have openly said we're tanking this season to try to increase the odds of, of getting a better player in the lottery. But that is not how Major League Soccer works. How he's going to use them, it's going to be interesting. Getting this three weeks, two and a half, three weeks off might be a blessing because typically Pineda does not like to make wholesale changes to the lineup. He'll change one or two guys at a time. It's not inconceivable that Saba is going to move in on the right wing. Shande is going to move in on the left wing. Almada stays at attacking midfield or Yurgo stays at striker. Miamba moves in to central midfield and Lenny Nodded switches back to a back four, two center backs, two fullbacks. So keeping in mind, Pineda doesn't like to make changes, but also keep in mind they've had two and a half weeks. If those guys can get their visas, Silva's already here. He's, he has a European passport, so he could be with the team. Saba and um, Thierry do not. They do not have their European passports. So it's taken them a while, but once they arrive, they'll have everything in one package. If they can get here sooner and work with the team, then you can see Silva on the left, Saba on the right, Miyamba in the middle, Yorgos Almada, that would be the attack going forward. Um, and it just depends on how quickly everybody adjusts. Jeff continues, thanks for being a great source of information. Thank you for subscribing to the podcast. It's Southern Fried Soccer from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Bryant, if I'm saying your name correctly, it has a non-traditional spelling. In my opinion, I, I have no idea. I, I don't mean to offend you if I did. We are hearing a bit more talk of Almada possibly staying with the team longer than this season. We haven't heard rumors of him going anywhere this transfer window. Can you tell us your thoughts on where Almada ends up next MLS season? Thanks for your efforts covering the team and providing insight. So he is under contract with Atlanta United through the 2026 season, I believe it is. Coffee sip. So the team does not have to sell him right now. It is strange to me that there were no definitive rumors or reports of teams showing an interest in Almada. The price tag may be a little bit high. Right now, you know, it's expected to be around $30 million for him. I think maybe teams want to see if he can do this for one more season. Or they may just be waiting for the January window when prices are different in Europe than the summer window. And teams may be trying to figure out what they need. I would not be surprised to see him sold in the January window, particularly if the team can make a good run in these last 10 games and make the playoffs enough if Mata really performs well. 
You've also got some national team games for Argentina coming up in which Almada can prove him, continue to prove himself. So it would not surprise me to see him gone in the winter window. But if not, then uh, he might end up with Atlanta United for a while. Another Ben says, I still wonder how the new arrivals affect guys like uh, Miguel Berry and Mateo Suzetu. Can we assume they move to the end of the bench? Uh, yeah, I think Barry, Barry's minutes will now be very, very limited uh, with Atlanta United. Zetu, I thought, played well with Sadich and Miyumba in that last game against Cruz Azul. And as I've, I said in the previous podcast, you know, I've banged on Zetu a little bit over the seasons because I just don't think he advances the ball forward often enough. I think he plays too safe most of the time. But he did well against Cruz Azul with Miyumba. Because Miyumbo was a guy advancing the ball. But I think it could cut into to his minutes. One guy who I think is going to be really, really affected is Derek Etienne. Um, he's already lost his starting spot. He's lost his spot on, uh, on the wing off the bench to Mosquera uh, with these two new guys coming in. <clears throat> you know, you, if you had to put a number on how many minutes you're going to see from Mosquera the remainder of the season, 10 games, I would put it at less than 200 minutes. Um, he's a guy who I think is really going to be affected. And, and I like him. He's a nice guy, Etienne. But, and this is not singular to him. This is also true of Mosquera. There's just not anything in the in the final third. There's not a product. Um, Mosquera really is the same, but you kind of know with Etienne, they're trying to give Mosquera another chance. You get a couple of ooh and ah moments, but you don't end up with a goal and you don't end up with an assist. And that's kind of what they're there for. Ben says, one guy who impressed me last year who's got no look this year is Aiden McFadden. Uh, no, he does not have a future in Atlanta. He was just loaned to Memphis for the remainder of the season. Super nice guy. But he is a guy who makes most game day rosters and who never plays. He's kind of the uh, Scott McMillan of the Atlanta Hawks for those who follow the team in the 80s and, and uh, early 90s. What do the new signings mean for Nick Firmino's future with the team? Guys, y'all have got to stop with this. Nick Firmino plays for Atlanta United 2. He's not an Atlanta United player. He's probably at an age where he's not going to be an Atlanta United player. Um, We don't know if MLS Next Pro, frankly, is any good. Do I think it's great that Firmino is playing well for for Atlanta United 2 and MLS Next Pro? I do. But it's just it's difficult to tell. Are the opponents good? Um, and and Firmino's a midfielder. Where's he going to play? He's not going to play ahead of Almada. Frankly, it'd be better for him if he can go to another team in Major League Soccer and get a legitimate chance where he might can start. But the, this always wanting the next thing, I, I guess I understand it. Um, but in regard to Firmino, good guy. Happy for his success at Atlanta United too, but even if he were to come up to Atlanta United, there is absolutely no guarantee he's going to do anything to help this team make the playoffs. Andre says, and this is a very interesting question. It's not the question of the week, but it's a very interesting question. What do you think is actually fair criticism of Carlos Bocanegra and the Atlanta United Brain Trust? Coffee sip. I think a good amount of the criticism on social media is just fans yelling without being specific. Very true. I've seen very few people actually articulate what Boca and the crew have done wrong. There was a funny tweet last night 
uh, of what was Carlos Bocanegra's responsibility in the U.S. women's team losing in the World Cup. And I hearted it because I thought it was very clever. Andre says, a lot of it is just Monday morning quarterbacking. Bocanegra has not done a perfect job, but I think the calls for his job are ridiculous, especially considering the unpredictability, volatility of Major League Soccer. Let's face it, we were spoiled early. This club struck gold out of the gate. Any realistic sports fan would know some form of regression to the mean was always going to happen. Thanks. Keep up the great work. So it's a good question. And some criticism of Carlos Bocanegra, I do understand. And I do agree with. You see the contracts handed out. I, I didn't mind the signing of Jurgen Dom, for example. I did think the one point something million they gave him, I think, was just absolutely nuts. Um, the team was trying to make the playoffs in 2020. It signed Mar- Marcelino Moreno. It just sold Pity. It needed somebody to come in. Moreno had a decent track record in Argentina. I didn't mind that signing at all. It's some of the salaries that have been handed out that are in the transfer fees that are a little bit crazy. The transfer fee for Lopez, the salary for Lopez, the salary for Sosa, the salary for Ibarra, picking up the option on Mateus Huzetu uh, in the offseason. Some of the singular moves and more just the money spent uh, is, is, I think, fair criticism. Now, having said that, I think a lot of you seem to think that the Atlanta United bank, the salary cap, is um, like some sort of hard and fast thing in which you can just slide one player out, slide another end, slide one player out, slide another end. But it's a constantly fluid, evolving thing. And it's, it's not as simple as we sold player A, we're bringing in player A. Monies change all the time depending upon all sorts of different factors within the contracts and within the league. So, if Atlanta United had the money to spend on Jurgen Dom, I guess it was use it or lose it type of a situation, maybe. But those are some of the criticisms. Now, you want to criticize Carlos for the team not making the playoffs two of the past three seasons? Okay, but you know you made an awful hire in Heinze, and Carlos has said that that's kind of on him. They didn't do all their due diligence during COVID on what type of manager he was and how he treated people. The COVID year was a wash. Not much you could do about that. I mean, you make the playoffs great, but frankly, who cares? There are more important things to worry about. They bounced back and made the playoffs the next season. Last year, as I've said and written hundreds of times, more than 20 different injuries that prevented players from being able to make game day rosters multiple times. So I, I, ha- I don't have any way of totaling it up. But there were times last season in which Atlanta United had a back five, goalkeeper, two center backs, two fullbacks, even defensive midfielder, of players who weren't on the roster at the beginning of the season. That's not Bocanegra's fault. You can't predict injuries. You just can't. And that the team had a chance to make the playoffs last season, even despite all these injuries, I think is a credit to Bocanegra, who went out and found guys to try to plug in, and to Pineda for coaching them and keeping the team together and focused enough to try to make the playoffs. So sometimes I think that criticism is is very unfair. All right, now here's the question of the week, and it is a long one, and I'm going to do my best to try to explain it, okay? This is from Dennis, I believe is how you pronounce your name, D-E-N-I-Z, Denise, Dennis. 
His question is about discovery rights. So this goes into the bizarreness of the Diego Rossi to Atlanta United rumors reports out of Turkey that would not stop for two weeks, despite me constantly debunking them over and over and over again. And they just kept coming, even on the last day of the transfer window, kept coming. Um, it just it, And they made no sense. But anyway, here we go. When Turkish media produced rumors that Atlanta United had Diego Rossi on their discovery list and received $200,000 in general allocation money in exchange for his discovery rights, I knew something was going on, but I cannot easily debunk it. Well, I did. Diego Rossi was not on Atlanta United's discovery list. And I'm the one that put that out there. So you'll know, Dennis, and Turkey may have picked it up. But I said the only way that this could make sense is that he wasn't going to Atlanta United, but Atlanta United had him on their discovery list, which is a list of players that MLS teams have that if another team shows an interest and tries to sign that player, they have to give the team holding the discovery rights uh, some sort of, of money or, or something in exchange. So it's the right to sign the player because this player is on this other team's list. It's a silly, silly thing. So anyway, I put that out there, that Rossi must may be on Atlanta United's discovery list, which is a mechanism no one else uses. And that was what was confusing everyone in Turkey, thinking Atlanta United had an interest. But it wasn't Atlanta United's interest. It was another team trying to negotiate with Atlanta United so that it could sign Diego Rossi. That other team ended up being Columbus. But Rossi was not on Atlanta United's discovery list. So all those reports out of Turkey were just wrong, wrong for weeks despite me telling everyone, nope, not happening, not on discovery list, no interest from Atlanta United, they kept coming. It was bizarre. He continues, I emailed the Atlanta front office about it, and their reply was, quote, thanks for reaching out. As team policy, we cannot comment on players that are not on our team. However, I believe the topic you're referring to was mentioned by our technical director, Carlos Bucnegra, in a media availability yesterday. I will provide a link to watch that below. Now, here's the audio. I know we had the Rossi rumor a, a long time, and yeah. even the league linked them to us. I, I'm not sure how that, that stuff happens, to be honest, but um, anyways. He says, in the link, Bocanegra says the Rossi transfer was just a rumor, but does not say anything about the discovery rights, because Lenny United did not have his discovery rights. In other cases, Columbus disclosed how much general allocation money they spent when they signed a player such as Jake Morris. The question is this, when a transaction happens where general allocation money is transferred in exchange for discovery rights, does the league announce it or are the clubs required to disclose this information? It would be really useful if there was some resource for us to go to in order to debunk journalists who produce fake news and rumors. Sometimes you'll get a press release in the mailbox that says Toronto has acquired $50,000 in general allocation money in exchange for such and such. Sometimes you get it, sometimes you don't. Um, and no, there is no definitive website that tracks that kind of information. He continues, The guy attacked me via Twitter DM when I quoted his tweet and explained to Turkish fans that the inf information provided was inaccurate. The reporter even mixed up discovery rights with draft rights and made a big mess. In the direct message he sent me, he said that he was, quote, the only journalist in the world, quote, who obtained the details of Rossi's transfer and I should not attack him or discredit him, blah, blah, blah. 
He has almost 1 million followers, and he sends me a DM to shut me up when I quote his bogus news. And you end up being wrong, man. Denise says, that pissed me off, Doug. I don't blame it. That would piss me off, too. Unfortunately, I haven't been able to obtain official information from Atlanta or Columbus front offices regarding an exchange of discovery rights, because there were none. I don't know if anyone had his discovery rights in Major League Soccer anymore. I would like to know how exactly this system works and what happens when teams pay general allocation money to each other to obtain a player's discovery rights. Okay, so I'm going to try to explain this as best to my knowledge as I can. Each team can have, I think it's as many as seven players on their discovery list. They submit that list to Major League Soccer. So let's say that Atlanta United wanted to sign Kylian Mbappe just as a impossible task just to make this understandable but let's say that Kylian Mbappe was on St. Louis's list of seven players in which they said hey we want that guy but if someone else comes for him they're gonna have to pay us to get those rights that's how it works now these lists change all the time it's not like it it stays in place for one season teams can take players off put players on I don't know if there's a cap how many times they can do that or if there's like a window in which you can do it now and it stays until like for one month and then you change it again for one month i don't know all that but that's how the discovery lists work again rossi was not on atlanta united's discovery list everything that turkey was reporting about that in atlanta united was absolutely wrong everything was wrong um, i don't know if it was coming from the agent coming from rossi coming for the club I don't blame them for getting it wrong because MLS rules are are bizarre and Byzantine and need to be clarified um, to make more understandable. But everything they had was absolutely inaccurate. And I kept trying to tell everyone it was inaccurate and the Turkish journalists would not believe me. And now Rossi is in Columbus and not in Atlanta. Um, but that's how it works. There is no list where you go and find, as far as I know, how much someone played for discovery rights. Teams do not make the players on their discovery list known because they don't want to give up leverage uh, when it comes to negotiating to get those rights if another team is interested in one of their players. Uh, I want to go back to the beginning of the podcast. I do kind of have an answer on the Eric Lopez situation um, or maybe an, a, a, theoret- a theory on it is that it doesn't like Atlanta United is paying – Lopez for the remainder of the season with Pizarro they may have just agreed that Pizarro would not be paid for by Miami for the rest of the season and that opened up the DP slot so that may have been the difference all right we're going to wrap up the Southern Fried Soccer podcast I don't think we're going to have another one this week uh there's just not going to be any news there's not going to be any need um but we will come back next week Ahead of the match at Seattle, I'm going to fly to Seattle the Saturday before the match. So that will be the 19th. Love that city. Looking forward to covering the match. The first of the 10-game stretch run for Atlanta United as it tries to make the playoffs. Don't forget about our special promo that I mentioned earlier, which is subscribe.ajc.com slash podcast. That's subscribe.ajc.com slash podcast. Don't forget our voicemail number, 404-526-AJCP, 404-526-2527. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Don't forget to rate the podcast. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC. 
Don't forget to hug your loved ones. Don't forget to communicate with your loved ones. This is Southern Fried Soccer. Y'all take care.